Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody, Mark and Steve on the PBSC podcast. You can see from the title, how do I know if my spouse is an addict or not? Dun, dun, this, dun. Dun, dun, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this comes from a PBSC listener who sent us in a question specifically about this. Uh, comes from Angie. She gave us permission to use her first name, by the way. She says, I've listened to many podcast episodes of your podcast. They've all been very helpful. My question is, do you consider every man who views porn as a, quote, addict or, quote, sex addict? Mm. My husband confessed to viewing pornography, <clears throat> no other acting out, uh, for the last two and a half years. He's been he confessed to, to looking at pornography for the last two and a half years. He can describe the events that led him to cross that line in our marriage. He has told me on two different occasions since that initial disclosure <clears throat> that he's been tempted and was able to identify the feelings that triggered him for both times. I'm in a support group with other women, and most of their husbands were addicted to porn as a teenager and brought it into the marriage and have been viewing porn for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. I know mm. that my husband could slip a relapse. I'm just wondering if you ever encounter clients who just got sucked into porn through a stressful time, but sought help early enough, say a year or two, would they still be considered addicts? I'm assuming since porn is addicting, that that could be the case. Mm. Thank you both for your dedication to the podcast and the topic of pornography. So there we go. Awesome. That's, that's great. Angie, thanks. We appreciate the question and a good one to talk about today. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots of thoughts. Uh, I think that Mark and I both had as we were getting ready for today's show. I, uh, I think a, probably, a, probably a good starting point is just a really brief review of a couple of rules about addiction to keep in mind as we talk about this. Uh, the first is keeping ever present the definition in mind, the definition of any addiction. Okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, the fancy speak I'll slaughter it is, you know, you're, you're basically you're, you're engaging in some sort of behavior, right? Some sort of, uh, line of, of action, despite all of the negative consequences in a vast majority of, of the areas of your life, if not all. Right. right. So be it emotionally, relationally, spiritually, you know, legally, whatever, 
Um, and, and that's typically how we gauge or we define an addiction. And then there's obviously kind of nuances to that, but, uh, that kind of takes us to the next rule, right? Is that addiction operates on a spectrum. So uh, on this bigger spectrum that we just call compulsivity, right? So addiction would be kind of, if we were to kind of look at that as a spectrum or like a long line, you know, true, full-blown, deep, hundred percent addiction would be kind of on the far side. Mm -hmm. right on the other end of the spectrum would be you know not not compulsive at all and then there's a lot of gray in between that black and white world yeah so if you look at that spectrum really quick you know typically what happens is it starts out as curiosity Mm -hmm. which happens with all of us with regard to sexual issues we just grow up in a sexualized culture so we're curious and then if we indulge in it uh, after we're exposed uh, usually introduced to us by peers or the media or whatever we then go from curiosity. We can we can quickly go into recreation. It's pleasurable. Feels good. Sure, it's fun to get involved with. Yeah. Then we can go from recreation to where we get into a place where it becomes an outlet, a way to cope with life when it gets difficult. Yeah. So it kind of becomes this way of self soothing, and then we can go from that self soothing to now we get into the place of dependence. I come to become dependent on that outlet to rescue me from hard life on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then I can move from dependency into addiction, which means I can't live without it. I have to have it. And I'm going to indulge in it regardless of how many negative consequences or outcomes it produces. I now have no choice. Yeah. This is like breath. This, right. This is breathing. This is like Mm -hmm. water. I have to have it. So there's kind of the spectrum really quick. No, for sure. And it should be noted too, that obviously we can get caught up in this for recreative purposes, but also kind of the other main avenue that this starts with is usually a series, a single or a series of events or stressors, right? Yep. That are either traumatizing or that create enough of a stress on one's life that the brain is looking for some sort of a coping mechanism. Yes. Very, right? You can almost always... If you're just if you're not talking just the pure recreational pleasure side of it, just as a part of you know growing up or you know uh, your peer group or whatever, <clears throat> as soon as it gets into the this is a way to self soothe and I become dependent on that, it's almost virtually always trauma related, mm-hmm. some sort of significant life event, stress, trauma, abuse, difficulty, discomfort, something that is pushing your brain to go look for a solution. Yes. And it's not just pornography or sex, you know, that works this way. This is how people get involved with alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or food or correct workaholics or there's lots of different things that the brain will turn to as a, as a solution or an out. But like you said, I think that the end point, right, regardless of kind of the initial catalyst or, you know, what got, gets this started is when we talk about actual addiction, right? It's the, the, I guess the good way to look at this, if you look at kind of the neuroscience behind it is the more the brain becomes slipstreamed in terms of the connections that it's making with ways of escaping, numbing out, coping, or, 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 you know, recreating, right. With Mm -hmm. that given behavior, the more that pathway becomes solidified, the deeper the compulsivity behind it, right. It develops this super highway, right. It starts out as a little path, turns into a dirt road, you know, as a little one lane highway pretty soon, used over and over again as a way to cope, it becomes a super highway. Exactly. And by the time that happens, it's like, okay, your, your vehicle's on the super highway. You, it has no exits. You're not getting off. Well, and that's important <laughs> to note. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that's important to talk about, too, especially, you know, in addressing Angie's question, because now we don't have an idea of how frequently this happened, right? How often the acting out occurred or anything like that. But over the course of two and two and a half years, I mean, again, we were missing a lot of info, but that is more than ample time to develop a compulsive relationship between a behavior and certain, you know, emotional stressors. You could definitely develop an addiction in two and a half years. Yeah, absolutely. Easily. I mean, and and some of us become addicted. You got to remember there's other factors involved. I mean, I, I oftentimes talk about my story on here. It was kind of this perfect storm of stuff in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, sexual curiosity mixed with trauma and who knows, maybe even genetics played a role, but I, I recall I was pretty much hooked from like acting out number one. Oh, right. I tell like people, that. I said I was hooked from the first exposure. Yeah, it very, didn't take long. <laughs> I tell the story. I was with a group of peers. They all came together and opened up a Playboy magazine. They were all, you know, chuckling and laughing. I think we were 13 years old. Yeah. And when they were all done, they threw the magazine aside and all trotted off to go do what they had to do next. And who came back when they were all gone? Mark. Yep. Mm-hmm. And took the magazine, tore out all, tore out all the quote, good parts, stuffed it in his pocket. And spent the next three weeks acting out on a daily basis with those images. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it was, I was a goner. Yeah. So it just kind of goes to show that there's a lot of factors that can kind of determine, right, how quickly an addiction can develop, et cetera. Um, but so, yeah, so those are kind of our first, our first couple of, uh, uh, you know, initial, initial layouts in, in terms of having this conversation. Um, in terms of, de- defi- you know, determining and kind of answering this question, you know, is he an addict? Or is he not? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> there's, oh my gosh, there's so many things to to do with that. I there is. Yeah. So maybe you know um, we got a big list a way, here. <laughs> maybe a way to help the listeners uh, maybe get more into because we can get caught up in the different definition of addiction. Am I an addict? Am I not an addict? How much of an addict? What level of it? Right? Could be a big distraction. Mm-hmm. What you really want to look at. <clears throat> is is number one the spectrum that we talked about? Where are you on the spectrum? Is it truly just recreate? Can you walk away? So take it or leave it. You know, big deal. Or mm-hmm. is it become? Is it started to become more than that? Is there a is there a compelling nature to it? Do you become distracted or obsessed with it easily? Where once it gets into your head, you can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And this is where mm-hmm. this obsessive compulsive component comes in. Where if I do develop a desire to stop, I can tell that this is not good for me. It's creating some destructive outcomes for myself mm-hmm. and my relationship. And now I want to stop. Yeah. When you try to stop, what happens? Do you try to keep it out of your head? Do you, do you clench your fists and grit your, I won't think about that. I won't think about that. Ah! You try mm-hmm. to force it out. And the more you try to force it out, the more, the more intrusive it becomes until finally exhausted from that process, you give in to escape the battle mm, resistance. Yeah. Now you've entered the obsessive compulsive part of the spectrum. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's one of the good things to really watch. Absolutely. Well, and, and obviously it goes without saying, and this isn't trying to slam Angie's husband at all, but you know, we're, I, I think people who work with this on a frequent basis are going to be inherently kind of leery to a story like this, just because, you know, obviously there's a lot of positives to be said here. It sounds like he's been proactive, you know, when talking about the fact that this was an issue and, and he feels like he's got a pretty good insight and he probably does to some degree, you know, about what caused this and what kind of got him into it. Um, but I, I will say, just speaking from experience, I think, I think most of us, and this is just human nature who get caught up in something like this, 
lack the insight to see it to in, in an accurate way if left to our own. It, we um, do. And the other thing I can tell you about myself and a lot of guys I've worked with because of the, because of us wanting to defend our, you know, protect ourselves from being vulnerable, you know, we will do often partial disclosure or discounted disclosure or diminished or, you know, a piece of the story. So it's, e- it's easier for me to admit to looking at pornography over the last two and a half years, but it's a lot harder to say, you know what? I've kind of been checking out pornography off and on since I was eight years old. Mm-hmm. It's a lot tougher to tell that story. Yeah. You know, or I really looked at it a lot when I was a teenager or whatever. It's like, no, just, you know, just two and a half years, never really saw it before that, never really got involved with it at all before that. So I don't know where this guy's at, but it would be very, very normal to, to have some sort of embellishment, discounting, partial disclosure, just from fear of, from fear of telling the whole story. What will I look like if I tell the whole story? Sure. Well, and and that oftentimes isn't even a nefarious thing. It's, it's oftentimes, I think just, it's just naivety, right? Yeah. I mean, Mark and I, we, I I knew when I got married that I had a quote unquote little porn problem. (laughs) I knew that, but I had no concept of what that really meant, you know, and, and, and the depths to which that ran emotionally, et cetera. Yes. And so it, it's oftentimes it's not, I am even trying to cover something up. It's just, you only know what you know. And yeah, maybe he just know. doesn't know. So it, it, either of those scenarios are possible. Sure. Um, you know, the big thing for, for Angie here is to really, you know, start to look at, look at the results, look at the, look at the behaviors, the outcomes, the signs, the symptoms, the red flags. There's a lot of things for her to look at with this to start to try to assess what's going on. Right. And, and Steve, as you and I talked about this before the podcast, one of your favorite topics in mind too, is this level of vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. What, uh, what is her husband's level of vulnerability? How raw and real is he with her on a daily basis about where he's at emotionally or in his life or what's going on? Yeah. Uh, Does he continue to share whether he has struggles with this, you know, in some way? So where is that, where's that transparency at? Yeah. And where, and, and along what, along those lines, and it sounds like he definitely has some insight, but you know, what is his level of insight? And I think probably one of the best litmus tests for someone who like Angie, who finds themselves in this situation, uh, we will talk about this on occasion because it's probably the hardest thing to fake for an addict is, you know, what, what is he, what is he able to accurately identify and what is he actually doing right to cope with feelings and emotions now? Yes. Right. What when when stuff comes up, whether it's those old stressors or whatever it was, we don't know what it was, right, that got him into this, or other things, for example, it shouldn't just be enough to be able to say, Hey, I think this is what got me into it. He should be able to actively convey this is what's getting me out. Yes. Right. This is what's got me out. This is what's getting me out. This is what's working. This is what's not. This is what I'm changing up, or you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Because it isn't just a matter of saying, "Yep, I, I no longer go to pornography." No, we're good. Yeah. No, because those difficult emotions and stressors and situations in life did not go away. Correct. They're always going to hit us from many different sources. And what? So one number one, what are they? Are you continuing to be honest and vulnerable about what they are in your life? Because mm-hmm. they are. Yes. And number two is don't tell me you're just not using porn to cope. How are you coping? Correct. What tools are you using? What methods are you employing? Because if you don't have other ones, your brain is going, 
we got to always remember the nature of the brain, right? The brain is always looking for the biggest bang with the least amount of buck. It follows the yep. path of least resistance. And that's one of the big psychological hooks of porn, right? Is it the pathway to escape is so fast and so easily accessible. And so right? powerful and instantly soothing. Yes, that the allure is tremendous. Like quoting a heroin addict I worked with one time, it's like having an, a portion of, he used the term, eight ball of heroin in your pants all the time. All the time. Right. Because I don't have so, to go to a dealer. It's constantly there. And so, yeah, what Mark is saying is true. There's got to be there has to be a rock solid plan of how do I cope with stuff when it comes up if I'm not doing it this way. Yeah. So, Angie, if your husband's not using porn, how is he coping? Yeah, he should. You should know that. He, he and he be, should know that. For I mean, sure. he should be open with you about that, about yes. how he's doing that in a proactive way. Other things, you know, we start to look at things like, you know, his moods. Is he reactive? Um, you know, what are you noticing about the way he interacts with you and others? Uh, one of the one of the big things that was a sign for my wife and in in you know my addiction was you know, I would go into a place of stoic, and you know quiet and withdrawn and isolated and. and and then I would have big mood swings. I'd be up, I'd yep. be down, right? And these aren't, these aren't, none of the things I'm saying are, are absolute guarantees that he's back into porn. Of course. I mean, people have, you know, mood swings and depression and anxiety and different kinds of things that happen, but they are things to, to notice along with the other things we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and, and, and I totally agree with that. I think that this is one of those those kind of things, right? Where you have to look at at, at the picture as a whole, right? Yes. To kind of gain a better idea of what's happening. Um, with that reactivity, I think the only thing I'd add to that is is if he does have emotional responses, do they seem to to measure or square with the level of stress that they ought to? Good point. Yes. Right. Because that reactivity, where you know, like Mark said, I mean, we all get fr- you know, if I lose my job today that's obviously going to be frustrating for anybody, right? right. Like no matter what. Yep. But if I lose my job today and I, you know, I find myself doing something really scary or really outside of my typical character, right? Or, you know, if he fl- if he's flying off the handle, I mean, this is a hallmark for Steve. If, if little changes in plans cause him to like fly off the handle or be upset about it for, you know, extended periods of time. I mean, those are all kinds of things that you want to be looking at in terms of, you know, there's a real lack of ability to cope with stuff when it comes up. There's right. a lack of ability to regulate. Right. And so how is it, and how is he showing up for you, Angie? Yes. What is his capacity to, to empathize with you? Yeah. Right. To step into your shoes, to, to, to show compassion and kindness and patience. What does that look like? Um, another one comes to my mind is, is he present and engaged during sexual intimacy? Yeah. That can yeah. be a big sign about what's going on. Yeah, for sure. You know? So a lot of lot of things, a lot of things to to look at there. Um, and I and, and Angie and all all women listening, there's also another aspect. I call it trust your gut. Women have intuition. It's one of your gifts. I, I we joke. I say, yep. My wife has a big giant satellite dish on her head, and she's going around all the time. Mm. She's taking in all the information, weighing and analyzing it, right? This crazy, amazing brain that can take it all in and sense, you know, what's going on when their things aren't quite right, when something just seems off. Pay attention to that because it will often tell you something mm-hmm. that might not be, you know, readily, readily visible. Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we could say about this, but I think that's the biggest thing is, and the other level of this is always right is to keep the the level of communication, the level of transparency, kind of where Mark began this really high. Yes. Right. As long as you can keep the lines of communication open about this topic um, and be looking at, that's going to be your best line of defense. Um, I mean, if, if you're, if you're wanting to exercise on the side of caution, which I would recommend, I think that, I think that it, there's nothing wrong to go in and do the, you know, maybe go do some, some proactive therapy around this and just kind of explore a little bit and see if this really is under control. Is it not right? Maybe get additional tools to be able to work on this, et cetera. Um, there's, I, I'm always a big believer of, you know, an ounce of prevention, you know, saves you a lot of problems and down the road in terms of intervention. Yeah. And, and, and does, uh, does Angie feel, you know, open, you know, does it, does it feel safe to ask him uncomfortable, hard questions? Sure. Can she just say, look, I've got these concerns. I don't know where you're at. I know you tell me you're in a good place, but can you just get it like really raw? Yes. Right. I, I've got your back. You know, yeah. I hope you have enough trust in me to know that if you haven't been telling me the whole truth or something's happened that you haven't divulged, that I, I can handle it and we can work on it together. But I, but I need you to be honest, I need you to be, to be fully transparent. Are they in that place? Yes. No, absolutely. And, 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 and Angie, that, that therapeutic recommendation, that may not just be good for him. I, definitely would consider it for yourself as well. There's, there's nothing wrong with when there's been kind of a disturbance of virgins in the force, so to speak, you know, in a relationship like this, I think that there's a real value in going in and, you know, maybe all it is, is a couple of sessions to kind of talk about and explore the issue a little bit and get on Mm -hmm. a better footing. Maybe in, in, in the process of that, you might identify some ongoing trust issues between the two of you and working on that stuff when it's small, like I said, is much easier than, you know, before it, you know, kind of metastasizes and becomes an out of control issue. If it's, if it's weighing on your mind, you know, more often than not, I think that's a good sign that getting in and doing something about that would be a good thing. So, yeah. And if, you know, and if he's doing his work and he caught this early and he's, he's worked recovery and really been proactive. Awesome. Right. Sure. I mean, celebrate the, celebrate the little victories. Yeah. And man, if, if, uh, if a train wreck has been avoided because it was caught early and, and you're not going to get 30 years down the road and, you know, have an atomic bomb dropped on your relationship, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Yes. Right. I wish I had caught mine after two and a half years. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> what a difference that would have made. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Hope this is helpful. And yep. uh, again, thanks, Angie, for submitting that. And if any of you have questions that you'd like to submit, please send them through the PBSE website. And of course, always, if you're looking for some much more in-depth help about these issues, uh, Steve and I have the Dare to Connect program, where three times a week, we uh, get with our clients online and have a really raw, deep, uh, intensive approach to all this can find out more at uh, daretoconnectnow.com. And we'd love to see some of you there. Uh, And otherwise, we'll see you next time on PBSE. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. 
It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.